2 Timothy chapter number 3. We're going to be in the first nine verses of 2 Timothy 3. Uh, where we've been so far in 2 Timothy 3 is, is we have been following an action list for enduring ministry. Paul's been laying out instructions to Timothy for this is what it will take for you to have an enduring ministry. If you're going to be an enduring minister, if your work is going to survive, then this is, these are the things you need to do. And so we saw that in the end of 2 Timothy 2. We come now to a little bit of a transition in chapter number 3. And following his action list for enduring ministry, now we're going to see final opposition to enduring ministry from 2 Timothy chapter 3. So let's read these, um, read the first verse as we get into final opposition to enduring ministry. 2 Timothy 3.1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Tonight what we're going to see from 2 Timothy 3 is the inescapable reality of difficult times. All right, there is an inescapable reality, and that is that there will always be opposition to someone who's trying to live in enduring ministry. To someone who is trying to live God's way, there will always be opposition. Uh, difficult times, they'll be marked by degenerate people, and they'll be marked by destructive teachers. All right, we're going to see both of those categories tonight. So we start out in verse 1, and it says, but understand this. And that, and that little word, but, connects it to the chapter that comes before um, again, when we see a chapter break, don't just disconnect in your mind. Um, this is something wholly different than what has happened before. He's still continuing. It's connected to what has come before. And he's been, Paul's been giving some very pointed um, commands to Timothy. He's been dealing with him personally. Um, he's been dealing with a lot of the struggles that Timothy have, has to face from within. All right, So he's talked about flee youthful passions, and you're supposed to follow after righteousness and and you shouldn't be a quarrelsome person. All these kind of things that are internal struggles for Timothy. And now, when we get to 2 Timothy 3, Paul's going to turn Timothy's attention to the fact that he's also going to have opposition from without. All right? So it's not just from within um, that we struggle to have an enduring ministry. There are actually pressures that come from outside. And what are some of those pressures? Well, understand this, Paul says. Timothy, you just need to mark it down. Let's be clear on this. All right? let's, not, let's not let there be any confusion. Understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. That idea of times of difficulty, there'll be seasons. There'll be seasons of hardship. It's going to happen. Difficulty is inevitable. It's going to come. This is yet another passage um, where we say to all those false teachers who announce a prosperity gospel, who say that life is healthy, wealthy, and happy for the Christian, again, you have to do something with a passage like this. And it says it's inevitable in, in, the, in the last times, there's going to come times of difficulty. Life is not going to be a bed of roses. You, you, everything is not going to be fine all your life long. In fact, there's going to be seasons when difficulty arises. And when does this come? Well, it comes in the last days. So Ken already um, alluded to that in his question this evening. What are these last days that we're talking about? So let's flip over to Acts 2 just to talk about these last days. And... Interestingly enough, we're going to turn to Acts 2 next week as well, because Acts 2, verse 16, is a direct quote from the book of Joel. All right, So we're going to talk a lot about this passage next week. But Peter is preaching a sermon at Pentecost. It is, it is the sermon that, that inaugurates the church. It's the beginning of the church, the birthday of the church. And... He is trying to explain to people, Peter trying to explain to people, why these guys are speaking in tongues and why they're acting the way they're acting. Because people are saying, well, maybe they're drunk or maybe they're crazy. 
And Peter says, look, they're not drunk, they're not insane, but what's happening is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So what we're starting to gather is that, is that there's a, not, a, not exactly a specific date that we can identify as, well, these are last days. In fact, what, what we end up seeing is that generally the last days are just a term used to describe pretty much any time from Christ's arrival and ascension to his second return, all right, to the return of Christ. And so last days actually fills in all of that gap from when Christ left us to when Christ is coming back. We have other mention of last days in 1 John 2. Um, again, John says that he was living in the last days, in the latter time. So there was the understanding that the last days were not something that was happening indefinitely in the future. The last days are actually something that is present. Okay? Um, and this is a distinction, really, from the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not something that we are in presently. That's the day of judgment. We are in the last days, the final days. And that's always been the understanding of the church that, that historically, that Christ could come back at any point. Okay? Uh, there are some people that would challenge that. But the early church, uh, throughout all of church history, there are people who have believed that Christ could come back at any point. That's a better way of saying it. Um, so Christ, we can identify that time of when Christ is about to come back as last days. That counts as anything before Christ comes. Okay? So Paul says, look, you need to know that, that in the last days there are going to come times of difficulty. And so the point for us from that verse is to know that what we're talking about is us. Okay? We are in this verse. It says in the last days there's going to come times of difficulty. That's where we are right now. We are right now in the last days, the days in between when Christ went back to heaven and when he's going to return. And uh, you may, we may differ on when exactly it is that Christ will return and all the details of prophecy may be vague in your mind. But what we do know is that Christ left and Christ is coming back. So wherever you, we understand those events to be, anything that happens in between there are last days. And those last days are going to be marked by seasons of difficulty. Where is this difficulty going to come from? Verse 2. It's going to come from people. Um, a, bit, a big shock there. Um, people can be the source of major difficulty. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't think I, I have to uh, even do any explaining or application on that. You know what it's like that people can bring difficulty. And specifically, what we're going to see in this passage are really just degenerate, decadent people living a sinful life. And so what do they look like? Well, people will be lovers of self. What we're about to see is actually a laundry list of all manner of evil. All right? um, this is a laundry list that doesn't appear to have any structure necessarily. Um, there isn't like categories we can fit all these things in. And so we're just going to walk through them tonight. It's not like Paul arranged these in a handy outline for us to remember. He just starts throwing these things out. This is what it's going to be like, the days of difficulty. All right? He starts out by saying people will be lovers of themselves. Some people have suggested that lovers of self can be the heading that we put over this whole list. Someone who loves themselves will go on to do all of the things mentioned in the list. Uh, while that's certainly possible, I don't think we see Paul actually identifying lovers of self any differently than any of the rest of the categories. He's just saying this is something that marks people in the end times, in times of difficulty. They're going to be lovers of themselves. When he says people will be lovers of themselves, he uses a generic word. Perhaps your Bible says men will be lovers of themselves. And we just need to understand that that, that word is the generic word for mankind. So this is not men in distinction from women. All right, so women, you didn't dodge a bullet there, uh, that you're not lovers of, of self. If your Bible says men, it, it's talking about people will be lovers of themselves. 
2 Corinthians 5, verse number 15, tells us that Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's part of what the cross did. Part of the cross work was so that you would stop loving yourself. And, and I mean, this, this, this idea of self-love couldn't be any more appropriate in our day um, than, it, than it was in Paul's. They had the same thinking then, and we are really faced with the same idea thanks to the movement of psychology in our day that teaches us that you need to have good self-esteem and you need to have good self-awareness and you really need to love yourself. And part of the reason that you're depressed or that you're anorexic or, or that you're a bully is that you just don't love yourself very well. And so if you would just have a better self-image, if you just appreciate yourself more, um, then you'd be able to iron out these problems in your life. Such is absolutely contrary to the teaching of God's Word, which says that actually... The description of someone who is a lover of themselves is someone who is set against the cross work of Christ. Because the cross of Christ came to teach us to die to ourselves and to live to God. It's, it's a natural thing. It's a natural thing to care about our bodies. All right? God has given us that desire to continue to live. Um, none of you intentionally hurt your bodies, probably. Um, we like to take care of ourselves in, in any way that we can. This idea of lovers of self, it's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about the normal care that you do to preserve your life. All right? So when you, when you walk out of here and you put your seatbelt on as you drive down the road, because if you do get in a wreck, you don't want to go flying out of the car, that doesn't mean you're a lover of yourself. All right? You are taking care of yourself. Uh, when you take a vitamin, it doesn't mean you're a lover of yourself. What we're talking about is an absolute fixation on me. Um, we are totally focused on what are, what are my rights, what's best for me, even at the expense of others. Uh, it has nothing to do with loving your neighbor. It actually has everything to do with, I just care about me and what's best for me. And this characterizes people in the last days, and that's going to create times of difficulty. And that that's, should be readily apparent, right? If you have someone that is just totally stuck on themselves, and they completely love themselves at the expense of anybody around them, that's an extremely hard person to be around. Um, they're not showing any love to you. Um, they're not showing any care to others. It's all about them. And perhaps you are thinking of somebody um, that you know that fits in that category, and you say, that's the kind of person that causes difficulty. Right? So you have people who will be self-lovers. You have people who will be lovers of money. It's a funny thing because he says they're self-lovers, and then he uses one single word that says lovers of money that's actually silver lovers. Um, it's the word for silver and love put together. So they're self-lovers and they're silver lovers. That's what times will be like in the last times. And they'll create immense difficulty because you'll have people who just care about themselves and they just care about money. As we go through this list, it should be obvious why people with the characteristics that, that Paul lists here create problems for the people around them. And yet at the same time, as we go through this list, we would be wrong to put up the spiritual umbrella and, um, and hope that the rain coming down from this passage falls off you and lands on all your neighbors and on everybody else. Because unfortunately, as we go through this list, um, we can see at least hints of these same problems in our own hearts too, can't we? Can't we see how there are times that we have been lovers of ourselves more than lovers of our family? We have loved ourselves more than our husbands and our wives. We have loved ourselves more than we have loved sharing the gospel with somebody. Um, we have loved money more than we have loved God. Uh, these are things that can be problems for us certainly as well. They ought not be characteristics of our lives, and yet these can be issues for us. So as we go through and listen to these people who cause difficulty, we need to think about how these characteristics cause relational problems, and we also need to think 
how am I like people in this list? Maybe in a smaller way, maybe in a toned down way, but I'm here too in this passage. It says lovers of money, proud. The next word is arrogant, um, proud and arrogant. What is the difference between those two words? Well, the first word, proud, has more to do with proud words. All right? It has to do with speech. It's a, it's a braggart, someone who always likes to talk about themselves. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody that, that always one-upped everything you said? Um, so if, if you were talking about the vacation you took, there was this one time that they took a way better vacation than yours. And uh, you talk about the fish you caught, and they caught a way better fish. And you talk about how proud you are of your grandkids, and their grandkids are, like, way better than that. And they have a better story than you. All right. So you have this very egotistical, uh, I want to tell you all about me and my life. And so you have proud words. You also have arrogant um, in the ESV. That's, that's a word that, that has more to do with proud thoughts, with arrogant thoughts. Maybe they're not spoken, but you have someone who is uppity. Um, that's, that's the word here. It actually has to do... Um, with like a height thing. The word for arrogant is a Greek word that can refer to height. So you have someone who's up on themselves. Uh, They're an uppity kind of person, and they carry themselves with that demeanor. And obviously that creates huge relational difficulty, right? Because you have someone who's completely stuck on themselves and how they're so much better than you, and maybe they say it, or maybe you just feel it very painfully as they look down their nose at you, um, you meager pee on you. Um, So... You have people who will be proud, arrogant. It says you'll have people that will be abusive. Another connection to speech. People that um, are both abusive physically and abusive verbally. And these last times of difficulty, you'll have people who are disobedient to their parents. Um, disobedient to their parents. I don't know if that strikes you as even just a little bit odd. Does that, does that strike you? Like we're reading this list of like pride and arrogance and your love of self. And then you read, disobedient to parents and you're kind of like does this really fit in this list Uh, absolutely it does uh, because in last times they will be characterized um, by children who absolutely do not care what their parents have to say they will choose their own way every time and they will rebel now rebellion with kids is nothing new all right there's nothing new under the sun uh, and kids in 2008 have not suddenly started disobeying their parents Whereas, you know, kids in, in 1942 never disobeyed their parents, all right? Kids have always been disobedient, and yet what Paul is saying is that this is going to be characteristic of difficulty in the last time that kids will be disobedient to parents. And, and I also think if you either have kids or you know anybody that has kids or you've ever been in a supermarket and seen someone fighting with their kids, you don't need me to tell you that we live in a day that is characterized by kids who are completely disobedient to their parents. How many times have you heard mommy say, I'm going to count to three, and if you don't come here, uh, I'm going to leave. And the kid says, leave. And, okay, now I'm going to count to six, and if you don't come here. You know, I mean, we've all seen that happen. You've seen the temper tantrum. Sometimes it's been, you know, my kid. Sometimes it's been you. We live, I mean, we live in day that, that this is nothing new. Um, Paul's point here is not that somehow this disobedience is going to get worse and worse. He's just saying these are going to cause immense times of difficulty. And there's no way around it. We, we live in a culture that it's marked by this difficulty, kids who do not obey their parents. Again, we understand that that doesn't mean that somehow the last days are closer. We already are in the last days. Okay? So he's not saying this is a sign so you'll know you're in the last days. He's just saying within these last days, there are going to be times that get really hard. And they get hard because kids are disobedient. Kids are also going to be ungrateful. People are going to be ungrateful. An uncaring attitude um, is a mark of people that have that have walked out on scriptural principles. People that don't care about what God has done good for them, people who don't care when you do good for them, 
That's a mark of somebody who is going to cause relational difficulty. They're ungrateful. It says unholy. doesn't necessarily mean unreligious. It just means people who don't really care about things that are sacred or things that are common. And so they just mix the two. And so it's, I mean, it's no holds barred on, you want to make fun of Jesus? Then go ahead. You want to make fun of the cross? Go for it. You want to write a sitcom based solely on laughing at the Christian idea of a family? Then, then all right, have at it. Um, again, this is another mark of our days, of these last days. People are unholy. They have, they have no care for what is sacred. Um, if you watch TV at all, then you get to see people who don't care at all things that are sacred. And it used to be that there, are, there were certain subjects, things about the Bible, that you just didn't make fun of. It, it just didn't happen. At least that's what I'm told. I'm told that there was a time, like on TV, that you weren't allowed. I, I've never experienced it because pretty much since I've seen TV, uh, it was kind of do whatever you want. But this is a mark of our day. We live in unholiness. Uh, verse 3 moves on to heartless. Just no concern. Unappeasable. As the idea, it doesn't matter what you do. They're never going to extend forgiveness. So a, a lot of bitterness. Slanderous. Same word that's used for the devil. They're full of lies, and they tell lies about other people. Without self-control, it's a do whatever you want. Um, do what feels good. Uh, if it feels good, do it. I mean, that, that might as well be a motto for our society. This is very much us. It says brutal. This idea of being like an animal. Brutal. Just whatever your instincts tell you to do, just go for it. Whatever you feel like, whatever is that base drive, then, then that's fine. Um, we live in a day when we see brutality, just things that you would just never expect to see in public and things that you would never expect people to talk about. It's just, it's just fair game today. Uh, it's brutality. It's, it's base. Um, not loving good. Uh, it's, it's an obvious thing. When you have someone who loves wickedness, they're not going to love what's good. It says treacherous. Uh, you can't trust people in the last days. Reckless. Swollen with conceit. That's a, that's a great picture. It has the idea of someone who's just puffed up. They are just so full of themselves. They're the traditional hot air balloon. Um, I think of uh, I read I read a quote about uh, Oscar Wilde who was a who was a wicked sinner who was a writer and um, on on returning to England he was talking to a customs officer and the customs officer asked him um, if he had if he had bought anything and that he needed to declare for taxes and Oscar Wilde said I have nothing to declare but my own genius um, that's someone who's just swollen with conceit they're just totally puffed up about themselves uh, that's a mark of our day lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Man, that one stings, because that one, just like all these others, can be marks that, that we live through as well, right? We love pleasure. We live in a society that is marked by pleasure. We have pleasure at every turn. It doesn't have to be sinful pleasure. It can, it can just be normal, ordinary um, pleasure, whether it's from the food we eat or the vacations we can take or the fun we can have, uh, the entertainment that's available to us. There is pleasure all around us. We live in a very pleasure-driven society. And people are lovers of pleasure, and the problem occurs when people are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And that's a potent question for you tonight. Um, do you care more about entertainment and feeling good uh, than you do about the disciplines of the godly life? So do you love sitting in front of your TV more than you love sitting down with your Bible? Um, I mean, you, we need to ask ourselves these questions. These are marks of people um, who cause times of difficulty goes on to say that these people, and here comes a little bit of a shocker in verse 5, these people have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. We're reading through this list and you go, I don't see anything that makes it sound like these people would give the appearance of godliness, right? I mean, these all sound like really bad things. 
How is it that they have the appearance of godliness but not deny its power? What we're talking about is religious hypocrisy that so marks the valley, that so marks America. You have people that can come into church on Sunday and sit there and pretend to listen, and then they can go out and live any way they want. Um, there, are, there are people who have a, a form. That's, that's a, an outer shell of godliness. Kind of, uh, think I, when I was thinking about an outer shell, I was thinking about um, Easter came up in my mind somehow, and I thought about Easter bunnies. I'm a big chocolate fan. At least I was when I didn't have braces on my teeth. And, uh, and I like a good chocolate bunny. Uh, but they make these chocolate bunnies nowadays, you know, and they're just completely hollow. So you, you bite off the ear, which is always the right place to start with an Easter bunny. You bite off the ears, and it just, like, crumbles in your mouth. There's nothing there to actually chomp through. Um, that's what these people are like. There's a shell on the outside that, that looks like an Easter bunny, uh, solid chocolate Easter bunny. But in reality, it's just a shell. There's nothing actually there. That's what these people are like. They, they keep up the appearance. And the sad thing is that these are people that, that existed in the church that Paul is writing to Timothy about. And they still exist in our churches today. And as long as people mouth the right words at the right times, who stand and pray when they're supposed to and, and sing the song and then sit down, there's just this assumption, well, they, they've got godliness on the outside they must be fine. Paul says, actually, these people have an appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. They deny the power to overcome sin, to live a godly life. So they look good on the outside, but they're empty on the inside. And he has these, this instruction for Timothy. Simply avoid such people. He says these kind of people keep on denying the power of God, and so you need to keep on avoiding them. Paul's instruction is clear here about these kind of people. You need to avoid them. You don't need to come alongside them and dialogue with them. You need to avoid them. You need to shy away from them. There is an inescapable reality that there are going to be difficult times that are caused in the last days, and there are going to be degenerate people, and it's these kind of people and these kind of false teachers that you need to shy away from. Now, we need to, we need to keep that balance with other instructions that, that Paul has already given Timothy, right? Like, Paul already told Timothy that you're supposed to be gentle to all men and, and you need to, need to be kind as you teach and patient, correcting your opponents with gentleness so that God might bring them back to repentance. Sorry, we just studied that passage two weeks ago. So in, in saying avoid these people, Paul is not saying anyone that has a spiritual problem, you know how you deal with it, just run and hide. I mean, if you know somebody who's difficult, just get away from them and, and that's the way to deal with them. What Paul is talking about here are people who are characterized, and specifically false teachers, who are characterized by this kind of lifestyle. And, and if you come up in contact with this kind of person, you are actually not going to change them. You say, I'm, I'm just going to try to share the light of Christ with them, and I'm going to be good to them, and that's, that's going to that's change them. These are people who are set in their sin, and who Paul says, you need to avoid that kind of person. That's someone that you mark out as okay, I, 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 need to, I need to step away from that person. I need to avoid them. Next week, we're going to continue in verse number 6, and we're going to see what happens when people don't avoid these kind of false teachers. There is actually deadly destruction that happens when you don't avoid a false teacher who is in this kind of category. There is a deadly destruction when you let someone with this kind of character into your house, and into your life. And we're going to see that in the days ahead. But because we took so long with Q and A's, we will save verse 6 on for next week. There is an inescapable reality 
and that is that there, there's going to be difficult times. Uh, so let's not kid ourselves. Uh, let's, Paul here says to Timothy, you need to understand this. All right, so let's have an understanding tonight that we're in the last times and there are going to be times of difficulty. All right, that's not what we can get out of. What, what we can deal with is that there are people who are going to have a, a lifestyle that is characterized by self-love, by love of money, by all of these other manifestations of self-love, and there's going to be false teachers that are among these people. There are going to be religious charlatans, and the right response, if we are going to endure that opposition, is going to be to avoid them. Because someone with this characteristic, someone with this kind of lifestyle, is going to be somebody who is always opposed to enduring ministry. They're always going to be someone who is attacking the work of God in your personal life, in the life of the church. And these are, some, these are people that we have to be prepared to face. That's part of the difficult times in the end times when you have people who are living out this lifestyle in an unrestrained way. And for the good of the enduring ministry, for the good of your walk with Christ, and for the good of the church, we need to know how to deal with false teachers and with people of this caliber And the way to deal with them, Paul says, very simply, avoid such people.